probably the most special moment of like two of these startups in. Yep. And realizing not thinking big enough and having read about some of these disciplines, I was reading a book in bed and it was four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I had woken up early and I was reading, I know it sounds like a horrible name for a book, but it's called The Fast Lane Millionaire. Ah. And it's a really good book actually, because it goes beyond just making money. It talks about like, what are the key human elements you need in order to succeed beyond okay. just money. Okay. So it's, it's a catchy name, but yes. it's, not, it's not that type of book. And I remember I woke up my wife and I said, listen, I'm gonna quit consulting. I'm gonna speak to two of my co-founders at a separate business and we're gonna merge and we're, we're gonna put our, our personal money into this and I'm gonna think much bigger. Great. And she was like, if you go, like, just do whatever you want, just go back to sleep. I have the, <laughs> I have the best wife in the world. She supported me through everything, so. Welcome to 14 Minutes of SaaS, the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. Episode one of two with David Darman, founder and CEO of Hotjar, recorded in SaaS stock in Dublin. Hotjar is software that helps you rapidly understand your customers with website session replays, heat maps, analytics surveys, and in-session questioning. It's 100% distributed, in other words, fully remote working company with 90 employees spread across 20 countries, and its current revenue run rate is north of 22 million USD per annum. David found a market very quickly. It had 60K signups in the first six months. It's now used by over 350,000 companies in 184 countries. 96% of employees in Glassdoor would recommend it to a friend, and David has a strong 95% approval rating as CEO on Glassdoor. David, it's great to see you here. Yeah, it's great Santa. to be meeting you here. <laughs> Thank you. Um, can you tell me your life in 90 seconds or so, <laughs> before, oh. right up to the point where you founded Hotjar? Sure. 90 seconds. Okay, born <laughs> Australia, moved to Malta, feel like citizen of the world because I've traveled around, um, studied law, that was kind of a waste of time. I thought, um, I then saw a software company in Malta, Swedish, looking for someone to optimize millions of page views. I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Yes. I left the startup I was working on to work with them. And yeah, I learned so much there. Met my co-founders. We grew the business a lot. B2C software. Um, did six years of that. Learned a ton. Attended every event I could. Used every software I could in the industry. Yeah. Um, and then I landed a gig with conversion rate experts in the UK. Okay. Uh, and there I was working with some of the biggest brands in the world. And it was, it was scary and awesome at the same time. Learned a lot from that and realized that the software using, I was not the only one that wasn't particularly happy with it. It was very enterprisey, very sales focused. Yeah. So I thought, hey, I'm working on these side projects like startups which are not taking off. What if instead we disrupted this market, went to my co-founder, well, present co-founders who I'd worked with in that Swedish company, three Maltese and two Swedes, that's the five of us. Ah. And we said, let's disrupt it together. Launched uh, the beta and that was it. That was the story of Audra. 
and uh, I guess the two Swedes had no problem moving over to beautiful warm Malta. Well, actually, one of them uh, is in Malta and is still there, and the other is, is in Stockholm. It was always in Stockholm. Okay. But, funny story, I like to say this a lot. I attend a lot of events, and even though my area of specialization is marketing, everyone tends to ask me about remote. So I know after Hodjar, remote is going to be probably my thing. Um, I was going to come on to it, but tell, yeah, tell, tell me now about so it. So one of the most important things we did in hindsight yeah. was that even though we were four people in Malta, living kilometers away from each other, we, we worked with headsets all from separate locations. So we worked remotely preparing to onboard new team members. Ah. And that made a big impact because when we did hire someone, they were joining a remote company. They were not joining four guys in Malta, you know, and they're you, remote. You, you knew how the whole thing worked. Exactly. And you were able to onboard them smartly and, and, and possibly recognize those traits that uh, you need to have if you're going to work out of home or out of a, an office on your own somewhere. Correct. So we, we, we were already practicing it. Fantastic. But I was lucky, by the way, because Conversion Rate Experts, it was a remote gig. So, ah. And I traveled the world doing that, so I wanted to retain that lifestyle. Very good, very good. Great freedom. Um, now, you had a special moment, I think, that freed your mind enough uh, to get over two previous, uh, not as uh, successful as hot jars, let's say. Um, is failure too strong a word, actually? Uh, no, no. No, okay. Um, I wasn't sure because it sounded like they were a pretty positive experience. Can you tell us about that? Um, what was that moment in time that, that really freed your mind to be able to believe that hot jar could work? I, I'm a slow learner. Right? I'm one of those entrepreneurs, like it takes me, a, I need to see failure a few times. So it actually was in one key moment. Okay. Um, the first, like, to me, it was all about reading a ton of books. Uh, that really helped me my journey to Hodger at the end, especially. Um, and also going through the failure. And, and so reading from the masters in inverted commas, and also seeing that experience was, was very effective for me to have both. Sure. So for example, I was reading a personal MBA while doing my first startup. Well, so Hodja was the third. So the first I was reading personal MBA. And I remember it was a tool for like restaurants, hotels. <coughs> um, and it was kind of a marketing automation tool. Yeah. But it was be me being smart, coming up with what do I know and how can I, how can I make money out of this like with an, with an app? instead of me thinking about the market. So we spent way too long working on it, and then only to realize that there was, we had no addressability. We did not know where these people were. We, and I learned addressability from that book. Okay. And it was that moment where we were like, oh shit, like we read the book and we've been, <laughs> nine months working on this, and then it took us another two. So that was the first moment. The second moment was the following startup. It was like a social proof tool for websites. It shows you X people are doing this and that. And that was the moment where I realized we weren't thinking big enough. Mm -hmm. But I remember the probably the most special moment of like two of these startups in. Yep. And realizing not thinking big enough and having read about some of these disciplines, I was reading a book in bed and it was four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning. I had woken up early and I was reading I know it sounds like a horrible name for a book, but it's called The Fast Lane Millionaire. Ah. And it's a really good book, actually, because it goes beyond just making money. It talks about like what are the key human elements you need in order to succeed beyond okay. just money. Okay. So it's, it's a catchy name, but yes. it's, not, it's not that type of book. And I remember I woke up my wife and I said, listen, I'm going to quit consulting. 
I'm gonna speak to two of my co-founders at a separate business and we're gonna merge and we're, we're gonna put our, our personal money into this and I'm gonna think much bigger. Great. And she was like, if you go, like, just do whatever you want, just go back to sleep. I have the, <laughs> I have the best wife in the world, she supported me through everything, so. I have, so one, I have one exactly the same, actually, so, so patient and yeah, so, it's critical, so trusting. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess it was this moment of finally being bold, slow learner, being bold and saying, okay, now I need to make this leap. Fantastic. You once said that, uh, you know, just so people know, Hotjar uh, enables you to know what people are, uh, you know, doing when they visit your website and to analyze that and understand and get insights into that. You once said that um, attribution is a bitch. Uh, however, I'm going to ask you anyway, finger in the air, what percentage of sales that Hotjar get or new customers come from word of mouth? It's a good, it's a, it's a wonderful question because we actually, since it's so difficult to do attribution, we thought, how can we do it, right? So what we did is we took a page on our site, which is not like a direct page you hit, it's one level in, we took our tour page. So this is where you click product tour, so if you want to learn more. So these are the people that really want to right, dig deeper. And we asked them, where exactly did you first hear about ah. us? Open-ended. And then once we got the responses, we switched it into like uh, pre-selected buckets. And one of them was a colleague or friend. And it's actually 30 to 40%. Wow, so you do know. And That's we good. spend quite, a, well, probably not very accurate, but sure. the margin but of error yeah. could be what, 20 to 50? Yes, yes. Probably more towards the 25, I'd say 30, okay. probably. Okay, um, get more accurate all the time. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> no, I'm saying that because I think probably on the tour page, we do like the like the word of mouth people probably do spend more time like digging around. Absolutely. So, but but it's very interesting to see that despite us spending so much on paid, like that's one thing that we do a lot. Yes. The only reason why our paid works is because of the word of mouth, right? Ah, so, yeah, yeah. if we didn't have the word of mouth, it would be too expensive, and our ratio of cost of acquiring a customer to LTV would be off and we wouldn't be able to spend that much. So it makes a great product, a great service makes it possible. I think so. I think if you don't produce something good enough for people to recommend it to others, it doesn't have growth built into it, does it? Yeah. Agreed. And we did this before. Yeah. That software company we had in Malta, we built products which did not have the word of mouth factor and eventually just becomes too expensive. You're just, you're just pushing like something that just isn't going anywhere. It becomes too difficult. And does the X Awards help with that? Tell me about no, the X Awards. No, not really. X Awards was a one-off thing, actually. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you asked about that. So a couple of years ago, we realized we're three Maltese, one Swede, who's an introvert, <laughs> based in Malta. We didn't have much of a network. We're hiring. We're like, we, we attend events and I speak at events, but you don't like you don't really build a network. So we're like, okay, let's do a test. Let's host our own event. This was my crazy idea. Cool. And the idea was, how can we give back, create a network? Um, so, so the idea was, what if we recognized young startups with no investment very early on, and we awarded them based on their experience, mainly what they're building. Like, are they changing? Yes. The experience in, let's say, booking travel. Or, okay. And we basically did a call for applicants, called it the X Awards, the call for applicants, and we got, again, we used our knowledge and paid, and we got a ton of applicants, really interesting young startups wow, wow. from Europe, US, uh, and Asia. 
we shortlisted to 10 teams and then eventually became 15. And we paid their flights, accommodation. We flew them to Malta, rented out this castle on top of a beach. And then we reached out to some speakers we admired. So um, the VP of engineering back then from Pipedrive, uh, the head of product at Basecamp. Wow. And we were just so surprised that all of them said, yes, we're coming. <laughs> so it was like, wow. And the event was in really successful for us in terms of we met startups they went home they spoke to how many attendees did you get so we we ended up being a group of 200 just like that Amazing. yeah and then and then we also invited a lot of local people for the final evening Ah, so that we kind of leveraged our relationships it was really effective for us more than anything to get our founders more into the sense of invite a speaker It, it really kicked off mentoring advising um and also we brought in some hodger team members okay and we assigned teams to them to kind of chaperone them. So the idea was, again, to just create this network. And it was really, really effective. That was good was for them, of course. Yeah, a good yeah. experience for them. Yeah. What's your vision for Hotjar over the next three years? <coughs> um, it's an interesting time that you ask this because originally our vision was much simpler. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically, we want to democratize the way the web is built and improved, right? It was this basic concept that this software that we've created doesn't make it very easily and freely into the hands of everyone. I was the student, I was the startup that, that would have loved having access to easily asking questions, get reviews, see how people are using the You're site. your own customer. Exactly, and I couldn't get access to this because I remember being at an event, the starting price was like $80,000 a year. Yeah. Um, so for us, it was all about, let's get this into the hands of everyone. And we love hearing from students, startups that tell us, oh, you just... So, so and, and the basis of this is that we believe that the future is all about not building for a search engine. It's not building for your boss. In the future, it will be imperative that you build for your customer and you have to be very close to your customer. So we were trying to build is the tool that empowers teams to make that happen, right? To really get to know their customers, to step into their shoes and be the closest to their customers, win by doing that. So our vision is starting to evolve to become more of that, which is basically empower any team to be close to their customers, to step into the shoes of their customers. That's a great vision. Next week, David talks about his passion for building 100% distributed companies or 100% remote working companies. He looks at the importance he places on self-awareness and building on one's strengths, and he advises entrepreneurs to avoid what he calls the passion fallacy when building companies. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thanks to Mike Quill for his creativity and problem-solving skills, and to Katsu for the music. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.